0: I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep, faith keep the faith, keep the faith Keep the faith, keep the faith What's up guys, Brian Ratliff here Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Philip Paul Bliss was born in 1838 in a log cabin in the state of Pennsylvania. When he was just 11 years old, he left his home to go work on farms and in lumber camps. But one day, God's sovereignty was overshadowing his life and he was led to a revival service. And it was in that revival meeting that God would radically change his life. He heard in that moment the glorious news of the gospel, how that Jesus died for sinners, how that Jesus rose again from the grave, and how this offer is to the world to come and repent and put their faith in Christ. And it was in that service that he came to know Christ. And he is also known as P.P. Bliss, and you would know that, that this young little man would, would go down to write many, many songs that we sing today. But he had a special, I believe, a special God-given desire for music, to arrange, to sing, to compose, and to write songs. Eventually, he became an itinerant music teacher. Not an itinerant evangelist, not an itinerant preacher, but he would go around for different cities teaching people how to play music and how to read music. Eventually, he came into contact with a man by the name of D.L. Moody, the great evangelist from the 1800s. And he encouraged him, because he had a gift of music, to go and become an evangelistic song leader. And so that's what he did for the rest of his life. Him and his wife were in the state of Pennsylvania. In fact, they resided in Rome, And they hopped on a train to go to Chicago to visit Moody and be involved in the church there. And as that train was going over a bridge, the bridge collapsed. And seven carts of that train fell all the way to the ground. And some way, miraculously, Philip was able to crawl through an area to to be rescued. And he went back into an area to retrieve his wife. And the train bursted into flames And they did not survive. P.P. Bliss was 38 years old the day of that tragedy. That occurred in 1876. And I share his story with you because in the year prior, 1875, he wrote one of the final songs that he would ever write as a songwriter and as a worship leader. And that tune, that melody, those lyrics would be a song that God would would grip the hearts of sinners and move saints in worship. And the title of the song is Hallelujah, What a Savior. I know I share one of my favorite hymns, or I say that a lot, but but my all-time favorite hymn in this moment of my life is the song P.P. P. Bliss wrote, Hallelujah, What a Savior. Today, as we think about that song, it is literally a decoration of praise to God. And as we think about how P.P. P. Bliss devoted his life after he came to faith to writing out praises and worship songs for God, we see that Jude is also a psalmist, if you will. Jude is also a lyricist, writing a worship doxology to God right here to close his little epistle. Doxologies are... Not foreign to the New Testament writers. Paul writes a great one in Romans chapter 16. And he writes in Ephesians, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. We know that doxologies or these anthem of praises in the New Testament are clearly seen throughout. But today I want to draw your attention to these two verses to remind you that we are called to praise God. And our declaration this week should just be everywhere we go, hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And hallelujah, what a Savior. Please keep in mind, Jude is writing by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Writing sometime between 67 and 70 AD, at some point prior to the temple in Jerusalem being destroyed, God through his spirit gave you these words to write. And he was writing to combat the concept of apostasy in his age. That is people who come to the very, very cliff of receiving the truth of God and then rejected it and walked away. And these people were creeping inside the local churches, inside the home churches of the early church in the first century, teaching things that would deny the deity and humanity of Christ, teaching things that that would allow people to have great freedom to go live however they wanted to live, even though God clearly commanded us not to live in that way. And so in verses 1 and 2, he introduces himself as Jude, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, and in verse number three, he lays out his thesis and his theme. And that is how Christians are called in every generation to contend earnestly for the faith. Because please understand, the truth was not under attack just in the first century. The truth, ever since Jesus' ascended, of the gospel, has been under attack in every age and in every generation since then. Even today. And Jude travels through this small epistle, recalling to the memory banks of these Jewish believers of the Old Testament illustrations, such as the Israelites in the wilderness journey, such as the angelic beings who rebelled against God in heaven, such as the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah who lived atrocious lives in the presence of God, recalling Michael the archangel and Satan, recalling the prophet Enoch and summoning these apostates to repentance. And in verse 17 through 23, he gets the application. Calling believers to live out their faith. And in verse 24 and 25, we see this amazing declaration of praise. Look at the first word in verse 24. This first word is now. And so the idea behind this word in the New Testament is I have told you all of this to lead up to this one moment so that now that you've received this um, admonition to contend for the faith in an age of apostasy, now that you've received that, now we know that God is able to preserve his people. God has made promises to his people and God has prevailing power. And because of this, we should lift up our hearts in adoration to God. That said, my question I want to ask and answer today is this. Why should we praise God? Well, whether you realize it or not, we have a lot to praise God for. We have so much to thank God and to worship God and to honor him and give him glory today. I mean, just think about this verse. Consider this verse. It speaks about how God is able to do all sorts of things that we're gonna get into in just a few moments. But I have three reasons why we are called by God to worship and praise God today. The first one is from the first half of verse 24. Let us praise God for his preserving power. Let us praise God for his preserving power. Jude is writing in a time when people are walking away from the Christian faith. That is from the core central doctrines of biblical Christianity. And here Jude is not only telling the believers to contend, but he's also saying that the God who saved you is able to seal you and able to secure you. He's able to preserve you no matter what storm comes into your life. God has the ability to preserve his people. We know that Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will not pass away. So if God has the ability to keep his word from spoiling throughout every generation, once he declared it to the prophets and the preachers of old to write it down, we know that the same way when God steps into our life and he begins to call us and when he saves us, we know that God is able to preserve us. God has preserving power. And because of that, we ought to praise him today. Consider this thought. God preserves us by saving us i want to draw your attention now. It says, now unto him that is able." Would you say Abel? Abel, say it again, Abel. This is not Cain and Abel here. This is not a person named Abel. This gives the idea, it comes from the word that we, a root word that we get our word dynamite from. And it's the idea that this is the ability power that God has, the power of ability. And it moves into the word keep. Would you say that word with me? Keep, one more time, please, keep. This word keep have a f- has a few different meanings, but the first one I want to share with you, it gives the idea of, of soldiers guarding an area to save the area. And as we think about this concept of keeping us, God is able to also save us. Aren't you glad today? that there was a moment in your life when you responded to the good news of the gospel, that when you heard the fact that Jesus died and he rose again, that you responded. Today, my friends, we know the Bible says whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We know the Bible says believe on, in other words, to put your faith and trust him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We know the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, it says thou shalt be saved. My friends, today when we think about this concept of God stepping into our lives and regenerating us and saving us, This is all part of God preserving us. Maybe you're trying to get the last minute Christmas gift. And I know it's not Thanksgiving yet, but probably Christmas is already on your mind. And you're thinking about what you're going to get your relative or your friend or whoever for for Christmas or whatever. And I know you're probably going to hop on that cell phone or hop on that laptop and just go to (laughs) Amazon.com. And you know what, what it is, like you get a package. And so think about salvation in this manner. We're saved, God places us in the package of his family. But then this, the second thought I wanna share with you is God preserves us by sealing us. That's what this word keep goes on to mean, to not just to save us, but also to surround us and seal us. And so just you would receive a package or you mail it, you take whatever it is you're gonna put in that package. Then you take the the big thing of tape and you tape that box sealed shut. And that's what God does for us. He seals us. Paul writes about this in Ephesians. Seals us to the very day of redemption. In other words, seals us to the very time when we are called by God to exit this life or when he comes to return for us. My friends, today we are sealed and saved by the power and grace of God. It's nothing you've done in your life, it's nothing I've done in my life. But then consider this thought. God preserves us by not just saving us and sealing us, but but God preserves us by securing us. He takes us after we put our faith in Christ, and He puts us in the box of His family. He seals us by His Holy Spirit. And then he takes that box and he goes into a compartment in his house, if you will, and opens the safe and places that box of faith in the safe and locks it away so nobody can snatch it. My friend, that's preservation. My friends, that is the power of God. God can save you, seal you, and secure you. Notice it goes on to say in our text here. It says, not only to keep you, but to keep you from falling. Say the word fall with me. Fall. One more time, please. Fall. This is the idea of stumbling and falling. We know scripture says, the proverb says, for a just man falls seven times and rises up again. We know there's gonna come a time in your life when you're gonna stumble and fall to sin. But the idea here is this, is that what he's talking about is we are not gonna fall into the idea of apostasy, of walking away from the Christian faith. John said it like this. He said that they went away because they were never of us. In other words, they walked up to the very edge of the core beliefs of Christianity and rejected it. If somebody is born again, they're part of God's family. And those who walk away were never born again to begin with. Why should we praise God? Well, because of his preserving power. But secondly, hallelujah, what a savior we have. He preserves us with his mighty power. But in verse 24, the Bible goes on to speak about the promising power of God. And so secondly today, why should we praise God? Well, secondly, not just because of his preserving power, but let us praise God for his promising power. Let us praise God for his promising power. It says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. And check it out now. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Are you thankful for the promises of God? Are you thankful that when God promises to save you, he saves you and doesn't let you slip away off into the lake of fire? I'm thankful that God has many promises. And of course, this idea of preservation is a promise of God, but, but, but it goes further than preservation here. It's a promise that, yes, he's going to preserve us in this life. But when we cross into the next life, it's all about how we're presented. Have you ever given a presentation? Maybe taking you back to high school when you had to give a presentation for the first time in front of your class, or maybe at your job, you had to get out the PowerPoint slideshow and you had to walk through a PowerPoint and, and present something at your job, whatever the presentation may be. Understand this that when we stand before God, Jesus is standing there presenting us before the Father. Not you, not me. We have the lawyer Jesus Christ, and that lawyer is never defeated. He's always in victory. But how exactly does he present us with this great promise? The word present, by the way, gives the idea that presenting before God so that God can see every part of our life. And if you don't know Christ, that will be very disturbing. Because if you don't know Christ, he will see all the defects. He will see all the failures. He will see all the sins. But if Jesus' blood is covering you, you have much to be encouraged today, my friend, because you will be presented faultless with great joy in the sight of God. Look, it says, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. God promises to present us faultless. Now, there's nobody here who is considered faultless? Not you, not me, not your mother, not your father, not your brother, not your sister, not your neighbor, not your enemy, nobody. In fact, this is a similar word to the word blameless, that it is sometimes translated in other aspects of the New Testament. And the Bible says that the only one that was blameless is the spotless lamb of God. This is a term that takes us back into the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, about how the Israelites would would take that unblemished calf or that unblemished animal and place that animal upon the altar to be sacrificed for sins. And we know that there was the greatest sacrifice of all 2,000 years ago. And Jesus became the faultless, blameless Sinless Lamb of God, so that when we know Him as Savior, He can stand in our defense, presenting us as if we are faultless like Him. That's amazing. Hallelujah. What a Savior we have today. But then the verse goes on to talk about how He's going to present us faultless, that is without blame. And listen, we have much to be blamed for blamed for in our lives today. But it goes on to say, before the presence of His glory With exceeding joy. I love that phrase. It's not just with joy, but it's with exceeding joy. God promises to present us faultless, but then he also promises to present us with joyfulness. This is a two-way street of joy. God is presenting, God the Son is going to present us before the Father with great joy because we're part of his family. We're his, in a sense, church, the people of God, that he redeemed us, that he called us, and he saved us. But then the other part is that when we stand in that moment, we are going to be full of so much joy also. So much joy from the fact that the lamb of God's blood is covering all of our sins that time when, I, when we've lied, that time when we've looked upon with lust, that time that we might have stolen uh, something or our time from our job, that time that we have said God's name of I Amen, that time that we have broken God's law, we will be reminded that it is history, the slate is clean, and we have great joy in God's presence. Hallelujah! What a Savior we serve today. As I reflect on verse 24, I also was reminded of the other doxologies of praise in the New Testament. And one of them is in Ephesians chapter one. So if you would, I wanna invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter one today. And if you've been coming to the adult Sunday school class up here in the auditorium, you know Brother Joel's been walking us through this book. And in Ephesians chapter one, there's an amazing, beautiful anthem of praise that Paul, in a sense, begins this letter with. In verse 3, he speaks about blessed be God, uh, the, uh, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed with all spiritually blessings. But then, I want to really draw your attention to verse number 6. It says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. In verses 4 and 5, is all concluded as well. All these verses lead up, verse three, verse four, verse five, how we are part of his chosen church, that he has adopted us into his family, and all that we can lift up our hearts and praise God for his grace and accepting us into the beloved. So I I thought about this as I was thinking about Jude's doxology here. God promises to present us with graciousness. God, now, Hear me out when I say this. God is a liberal to a certain extent from the standpoint that God is gonna be very liberal in distributing his grace to people who know Christ. It's not like liberal in politics or liberal in theology. It's like liberal is like, I wanna give my grace to anybody who accepts it. And if you're part of his church, you will receive that grace. And here, as I think about this, It is gracious that God would present us faultless. It is gracious that we would stand in God's presence and he would present us with joy. God is an amazing God. We can praise him for his promising power. We can praise him for his preserving power. Hallelujah. What a savior we have today. But now let's look at the final verse of Jude's letter, verse 25. In verse 25, this verse says, To the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Thirdly, today, of why we should praise God is simply this thought. Let us praise God for his prevailing power. Not just his preserving power, not just his promising power, but let's praise God for his prevailing power. I love verse 25. In fact, I love verse 24. And in fact, if you've ever done any reading from the book of Jude or reading other people, the most quoted passages in the book of Jude is verse 24 and 25. And if you've been to a church where they have a benediction at the very, very end of the service, they'll often quote this passage. It is the most quoted text from Jude's letter. And rightly so. But in verse 25, this anthem of praise is not directed to Allah. No, sir. This anthem of praise is not directed to Buddha or any of the false gods of Hinduism or Buddhism. This anthem of praise is directed to the only God, Jesus, the triune God made up of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the only God in the world. No matter what the LDS faith tries to tell you, you cannot become God in the afterlife. Only God is God. No other God has ever been created by the hands of God. Surely man has created different gods in his own mind, but those gods are not God. Only one God. And this God is all wise. This God is all powerful. And this God is all present. Here it says, To the only God, but not just the only God, but the only wise God. In other words, I think what what Jude is literally saying subliminally, uh, subtly, is that all the other gods made by man are dumb. They can't speak. They're foolish. They are stupid, if you will. This God is the most intelligent God ever because he created man's intelligence. Isn't it interesting here? That the Bible says God our Savior. Now you can go study this for yourself, but there are times in the New Testament and in the Old Testament when God is referred to as the Savior. Sometimes the Father is described as the Savior, and sometimes the Son is described as the Savior. In other words, God the Father sent His Son to be the Savior. This word Savior literally means deliverer. In other words, God is allowing us to be delivered from our sins through the personal work of Jesus Christ on the cross. There's no other way. But then he ends this letter with four specific words of praise to God. He says, to the only wise God, our Savior. He says, be glory. Would you say glory with me? Glory. As I think about this, here's a thought I want to share with you. God's glorious power prevails forever. Did you hear me? God's glorious power prevails forever. This word glory, as Brother Joe was just talking about in, in, our, in our Sunday school lesson, that this is the word, it comes from a Greek word, doxa, and it literally means glory. It means dignity, it means honor, it means praise, it means worship. And it is the word that we get the word doxology from. And this is the term that Jude is using to describe that this only wise God is the only God worth giving worship to. The only God worth giving praise to and the only God worth giving honor to. None else deserves it. And this glory will radiate not just in the here and now, but in the afterlife into the new age to come and eternity. And we will see this glory from God on his throne in heaven shining forth through his celestial kingdom forever. But it's not just his glory that we'll see, it's also his majesty. Would you say majesty with me? Majesty. God's glorious power prevails forever, but also God's majestic power prevails forever. Majesty is a term that describes the greatness of God. How that he is divine, he is the great God, and nothing else compares. This word in the New Testament, it comes from the root word mega, and that is the word we get uh, megalodon from. It is the word we get things that are just very big and great and vast. And here, when it says majesty, this is the great God who is vast beyond all our human comprehension. So vast, so glorious, so majestic that any human being that comes into his presence cannot survive. Remember? Remember? the Old Testament characters who marched into the presence of God, quote, face-to-face, unquote. They could not see God in his full glory. And until we receive a new body, we will not see him that way either. This wise God deserves glory. This wise God deserves majesty. But then check this out. These next two words are very synonymous. Dominion and power. They are very similar, but at the same time, they're very different. But I want to combine them and share another thought with you. God's glorious power prevails forever. His majestic power prevails forever. But thirdly, under this, God's authoritative power prevails forever. The word dominion gives the idea of power and strength. This God is omnipotent. This God is full of great power. Nobody compares. He is full of great might. When we think of these different figures in the, in the ancient world that had vast um, dominions of their kingdom, God's kingdom has no end. Praise God for that. But then this word power, it gives the idea of superhuman power. It gives the idea of of jurisdiction power. It gives the idea of potentate power and power of authority. As we think about the word dominion, as we think about the word power, it is the concept that God is the sovereign, all-powerful ruler over the universe and is free to act out his will in any way he pleases. God's authoritative power prevails forever. Forever. Jude is writing these believers, finally, with some encouragement. After all that they've heard, I'm sure they they began in verse number one. And by the way, in the early church, it was their custom when they received letters, they would read the entire letter in that meeting. Imagine reading the book of Romans in one church service. Well, they would do things like that. And so here they receive Jude's letter in one of these house churches and there they begin to read it and they're like, oh, Jude is, is the brother of, of James and, most, and, and the half brother of Jesus and, and they begin to read this and they're reminded of all these Old Testament illustrations, these natural illustrations and, and they're like, wow, wow, is there, is there any hope for us today? Huh, oh, wow, all these apostates are, are coming in and man, can we even have the truth today? Can, can I fall away? Can, can I lose my faith? What's going to happen to me? And after verse 23, after he summons them to be active in their faith, he says, now let's praise our God because of his ability to preserve us, no matter what the culture is saying, no matter what the culture is doing. Let us praise God because he's promised to present us without blame and without fault in his presence. And let us praise him because he is the only God worth praising because his power prevails forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Notice here it says, at the end after the word power, both now and ever. So right now, or excuse me, back about 2,000 years ago when Jude wrote this little letter, God's power, his dominion, his majesty, his glory prevailed then. It prevails now. It will prevail when my body is placed in the cemetery. And it will prevail when we go off into eternity. In the word amen. This word amen is a Hebrew transliteration into the Greek language and a transliteration into the English language. And all it means is so let it be. In other words, when a preacher's preaching and you say, amen, in other words, you're saying, I agree with that and let it come to pass. When somebody prays a prayer and you say, yes, I believe that and I agree with that. And when you shout amen or you say amen, you're saying, I agree with that prayer and may it be done so according to God's will. So today, may we shout amen to God. May we shout in a hallelujah, what a Savior praise to Him. In fact, I want you to take your hymnals right now and turn to number 311. Number 311 in your hymnals. And I want to do something a little bit different as we come to a close of this sermon. I want to read each of these stanzas. It's a short hymn. This is the hymn I was referring to earlier in the message. Hallelujah, what a Savior, in verses, excuse me, in number 311 in your hymnals. And what I want to do is at the last little phrase, Hallelujah, what a Savior, I want us all to say it together out loud. So listen carefully, and then I will call you to join in with me. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruin sinners to reclaim. Everybody together. Hallelujah, what a savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, what a savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a savior. When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransom home to bring. Then anew this song will sing. Hallelujah, what a savior. And all the God's people said, amen. What's up guys, Brian here again just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith Keep the faith, keep the faith Keep the faith, keep the faith